Hello, everybody. My name is Matt Carter. I'm the founding pastor here at The Stone. It's good to be with you guys today. Happy Mother's Day. Um, we love mothers here at The Austin Stone. Um, I, uh, I was just thinking today, I, my mom passed away in, I think, 2002, and uh, I miss her. miss her just about every day of my life. My earliest memory, my very first memory that I have in life was, uh, I think I was two, um, and long story why I didn't know I was two, but I was in her lap. It was in the middle of the night, had an earache, and she was singing Jesus Loves Me to me, and that is the earliest memory I have of anything, um, and that is the name of Jesus being sung over my life, and the very last memory I have of her um, before she passed away, I was about to be ordained as a pastor. And I was ordained in a church where they didn't let women come and pray over you. It was just old school kind of stuff. And, and uh, she was, right when we were getting dressed, she came into my bedroom and, and she was crying. And she said, Matt, I'd love to pray for you now. And she laid her hands on me and prayed for me. And so that's one of the last memories I have of her is her speaking the name of Jesus over my life. And so I'm thankful for mothers who speak the name of Jesus over our lives. Amen. Let's give moms a hand because y'all are cool. And... Um, now, having said all that, having said all that, it's a, it's a really long story, but uh, we are part of an organization called Acts 29, and, and uh, it's a church planting organization that, that plants churches all over the world, and uh, Austin Stone is a part of that, and, and uh, God's sovereignty, it, it so happened that our church planting sermon of the year, which we vowed to do, happened on Mother's Day. So you're going to hear about church planting today, moms, um, but hopefully you'll realize by the end of this that all this uh, does actually apply to everybody in the room. And so I'd love to invite you to open up your Bibles today, the book of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Um, and we're gonna, we're gonna be in there in just a minute. But uh, I, uh, I graduated from high school. I graduated from high school in 1992. And so last summer was my 20 year high school reunion. Um, 20-year high school reunion was last summer. Now, I didn't go. And I made the decision not to go to my 20-year high school reunion 10 years ago at my 10-year high school reunion. Um, that night, I made that decision. The 10-year high school reunion was by far and away one of the worst experiences of my entire life. Uh, some of y'all know what that's like. And what made my 10-year high school reunion probably more uncomfortable than anything was trying to explain to the people that I went to high school with what I was doing with my life. Um, in 2002, 10 years ago, I was starting and planning the Austin Stone Community Church. <coughs> and so all these people that, uh, that I'd gone to high school with, none of whom, by the way, that I'm aware of were Christians and none of whom had any idea that I'd gotten to college and made the decision to be a pastor would ask me, they would come up and say, hey, Matt, so what are you doing with your life? What's going on? What do you do for a living? And I would say, well, I'm a pastor. And normally that would end the conversation right there. I mean, they, they would just stop the conversation. I would say, I'm a pastor. And they would look at me and they'd say, oh, all right, cool. I'm going to go get a drink. And they would walk off. And, and by the way, if, if you tell somebody you're a pastor, it's just an automatic conversation stopper in any situation. If you're, on a, if you're ever on an airplane, you need to use that go for it. Like if you're on an airplane and the guy next to you won't shut up, he asks you what you do for a living, you go, I'm a pastor, and it'll stop the conversation. It works every single time. But the handful of people that maybe really, you know, I was friends with back in high school, they would say, okay, so you're a pastor, so what are you, what are you doing now? 
And I would say, well, I'm starting a church in Austin, Texas. I'm starting a church in Austin, Texas. And no joke, I had three people on that night, three different people make the exact same statement to me, which I, I thought was hilarious at the time. I still do. They would say, really, you're, you're starting a church. I didn't know you could start a church, right? And, and, and I would look at them and say, yeah, you know, all churches at some point in time started, right? <laughs> and, and I'm going to do that. But see, in, in their mind, the idea of church planning was just completely foreign concept. To them, churches were just buildings. They're just buildings on a corner somewhere that had obviously in their minds always existed. Right? They had no concept of, of a, a person or a group of people seeing a need in some city somewhere and then moving to that place and then starting a new expression of the church in that city because of that need. And so here's what I want us to do today and what I want us to talk about today and, and that is to consider that church planting or that starting new expressions of the church is a critical component of the Great Commission. It's a critical component to the Great Commission and I would dare say because of that all of us are to some shape, form and fashion one way or the other called to engage in this, this critical component of the Great Commission. Now real quickly here, let's do a little reminder. What is the Great Commission? What's the Great Commission? The Great Commission is the calling and it's the command that Jesus gave to every single believer in this world and that is to make disciples of all the nations, right? That, it's the command, it's the calling that Jesus placed on every single one of our lives in this room that are believers and that is to go into the world and make disciples of all the nations today. So if today you're here, you're sitting here, you're in the sound of my voice and you are a believer, you're a Christian, that is the calling, that is the command that's on your life. Um, I believe it was Charles Spurgeon who said this. He said that um, as a Christian, you are either a missionary or you are an imposter. As a Christian, you're either a missionary, a person who lives on mission for God, or you are an imposter. In other words, what he's saying is that there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a person who is a Christian who doesn't live on mission for the Lord. And we've messed that up as in America because somewhere along the way in the United States of America, we got it in our minds that it was okay for us to be believers and to simply walk in the door on a Sunday, hear a sermon, and then go out and live our lives for ourselves for the rest of the time, come back in on Sunday, and that is the sum total of our Christianity. That's disobedience. Every single believer, all of us are commanded and called to engage in the Great Commission. And so in light of that, the fact that all of us are called to help fulfill the Great Commission and that church planning is a critical component of that, there's a few things I want us to talk about today. Here's the first thing. Again, I've already said this, but, but church planning, or rather let me say this, the building of the church, the building of the church is not a secondary component of the Great Commission. And the building of the church, everybody hear this, the building of the church was never by Jesus meant to be the job of just a handful of specialized Christians. The building of the church, that was never the dream of Jesus for it to be just to be done by just a handful of specialized Christians like pastors or church planners and that sort of thing. Let's read this together. Matthew 16, 13, Jesus talks about this very thing. In Matthew 16, 13, 
It says, now when Jesus had come into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, Caesarea Philippi, I don't know if you've ever been there before, seen pictures. It's like a huge uh, natural amphitheater. There's, there's rocks kind of all the way around it, and there's a flat surface there, and there's all these carvings of, of men and kings and kingdoms all over, the car, all over the walls of the rocks, and Jesus takes the disciples to that spot for all these kingdoms and kings that had come before them, and he looks at them and says, hey, guys, who do people say that I am? And they respond, in verse 14, and they said, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And see, Elijah had come in years before, and he was taken up into heaven, and there was a prophecy in Scripture that Elijah would come back. And so a lot of people thought that that's who Jesus was, that he's Elijah that had come back. Jesus told us, actually, John the Baptist was the second coming of Elijah. He explained that in the Scripture. And, and, and so in verse 15, he responds to that by saying, okay, guys, but who do you say that I am? He looks back at the disciples, and he says, who do you say that I am? And by the way, that's probably the most important question that's ever been asked. And one of the most important questions you could ever answer is, who is Jesus? And Peter was the first to speak, because that's what he does. He's always the first to speak. In verse 16, and Simon Peter replied, and he gives the right answer, by the way. He says, Jesus, you are the Christ, and you are the Son of the living God. And there's two things Peter says right there. First thing, he says, Jesus, you're the Christ. The word Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. The Jews believed because of the scriptures that there would be a Messiah that would come to them, rid them of their enemies, destroy evil, forgive them of their sins, establish a new kingdom. And so Peter looks at Jesus and he says, I think you're him. I think you're the Messiah. But he doesn't stop there. He said, you're the Messiah and you're the son of the living God. Now that's critical. He, he says, Jesus, not only are you the Messiah... But I think you're God. You're God. I, I don't think, I believe that you're God. Now, watch what Jesus says to him in verse 17. He says, and Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus says, look, some man didn't reveal that to you, Peter. You're blessed, by the way, Peter. Man didn't reveal that to you. You didn't figure that out yourself. So the Father in heaven revealed to you that I'm the Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of the living God. And then watch this, because this is where we're going to camp out here for a second in verse 18. <clears throat> watch what Jesus says. This is one of the most misinterpreted verses in the history of Christianity. Right here. In verse 18, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you. You didn't figure that out. God revealed that to you. And he, and he says something interesting. He says, you are Peter. Now, why did he say you are Peter? He didn't just say Peter upon this rock. He said, you are Peter. He calls him something. And he says, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. That's what Jesus is building. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And by the way, he was right about that. The gates of hell have not prevailed against the church. And they will not prevail against the church until he comes back. But that's another sermon for another day. Um, but what does that mean? It's probably the most misinterpreted verse in the history of the Bible. Here's why. A lot of people have 
interpreted that verse over the centuries to mean that Jesus is going to build the church on the person of Peter. And that is not what that verse is saying. As a matter of fact, it almost says the opposite of that when you look into the Greek. All right, the word Peter there, okay, look at the word Peter. The word Peter is the Greek word for little pebble, okay? It's like a little piece of a rock. That's what the word there in the Greek means. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you are Peter, all right? In, in other words, what he's saying is you are a little pebble. You are a little piece of a rock, okay? Y'all with me so far? And then he goes on there and he says, Peter, you are a little piece of the rock. You're a little pebble, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. So that word rock there in the Greek is a completely different Greek word, and that word means a mass of rock, or a big rock. And so literally what Jesus says is you are a little piece, you're a little pebble of a really big rock. And it's on this really big rock that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, here's the thing. What is this really big rock that Jesus is saying he's going to build his church on that Peter is just a little bitty pebble part of, right? Well, what, if you look at the verse there, what he's saying is this, is that the big rock he's building his church on are those of us who make the confession, all of us who make the confession that Jesus is the Christ and the son of the living God. And Peter is just one small little piece, one little small rock of the really big rock, okay? All of us, every one of us, Every single solitary one of us that say, yes, he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. That is the rock that he is building the church of Jesus Christ on. He's saying, I'm going to take this group of people that make that confession. I'm going to build my church upon them. He is not, church, listen, hear this. He is not building his church just through pastors. Pastors are just little pebbles of a really big rock. He is not just building his church through church planters. Church planters are just little bitty pieces of a really big rock. He's not just building his church through full-time vocational missionaries. Those are just missionaries. They're just small little pieces of a really, really big rock. He is building his church on all of us who make the confession that he's the Christ and the son of the living God. And so I have a question for you today. Here's my question. Is that your confession? Who do you say that Jesus is? And if you're here and you say, yes, he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. Then I want you to understand something. Make no mistake. He wants to build his church through you. He wants to build his church through you. And so that brings us to another question. How, how does Jesus do that? He says he's going to build the church. That's the promise. Through those of us who make the confession, he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, how is he going to do it? Well, there's a lot of ways he do, does it, but I want to talk about two specifically this morning, and we'll be finished today. The first one, way that God wants to use all of us who make that confession to build his church is through personal evangelism, through personal evangelism. Now, we know that Jesus is not building a church on individuals, we know that, but he does use individuals to build his church, right? And a per perfect example of this, 
I would say, is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, which is an incredible story. If you want to follow with me in the scripture and you've got a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. This is a really neat story in the Bible. It has implications that I, I didn't know, honestly, until this week I was studying. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, but the angel, in verse 26, but the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, who was the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge, he was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will re relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say, uh, say this, of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road, and they came to some water, and the eunuch said to him, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down in the water, and Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so Philip is sitting there, minding his own business. The spirit says, Hey, go to this road. Philip says, Okay. And he goes down the road, and he looks, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch sitting there on a chariot, chilling, reading the book of Isaiah. And the spirit says, Hey, go talk to him. And he says, okay. And by the way, he obeys the spirit. He walks up and says, what you're reading? He says, are you reading the prophet Isaiah? Do you know what you're reading about? No, I really don't. How am I going to know unless somebody tells me? Well, I can tell you who that's talking about. He gets up in, they read it together. He starts preaching Jesus to him and shows him that that's a prophecy of Jesus Christ all the way back in Isaiah. This Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. They're cruising. They find some water, baptizes him right there. And that's a great story. And what makes that story so great is not that this one guy came to Jesus, but what makes this such a great story is what happened after that, because this is not just a story about one guy that comes to Jesus. When you look at church history, you realize this, that one of the greatest group of churches in the history of the early church, and this was after the Ethiopian eunuch, one of the greatest group of, uh, of churches in the history of the early church was not in Europe. It was not in Asia. It was not even in Jerusalem. Probably the greatest group of churches in early church history were in northern Africa. And, and, and as a fact, even to this day, some of the greatest theologians in the history of the church have come from Africa. Men like Origen and Cyril, Tertullian, Cyprian, Augustine, for crying out loud. I didn't know that till this week. Do you know that Augustine, which is called the father of the church, great influence uh, on Jonathan Edwards came from northern Africa. And we don't know this for certain because the scripture doesn't imply this specifically, but church history strongly suggests that this was the first Christian convert to go back to Africa and begin to spread the gospel. So he left, and the scripture says he went on his way. He left, he goes back 
home and probably through the, through the testimony of this one guy, an entire continent was changed. Now why? Because Philip allowed himself to be used by God to listen to the Spirit and to be used by God to share the gospel with one guy who wanted to hear it. And guys, it changed the world. It literally changed the world. All right, and to this day, to this day, 2013, God is still using individual pieces of the rock to build the big rock of the church. And I mean, I just want to show you a picture of what I'm talking about. We have a, uh, last week at our south campus here in Austin Stone, we had a baptism service. And I just think baptism pictures are some of the coolest pictures in the world. Isn't that great? It's just a great picture of the gospel right here. And I keep that up for just a second because... We do baptisms a little differently here at the Austin Stone, and we do it for a very specific reason. Uh, normally in most churches, you'll have the, the pastor that, that does all the, all the baptizing. But what we do at the Stone is we want the person that baptizes you to be the person that's had the greatest influence on your uh, walk with Jesus, maybe the person that's led you to Christ, maybe somebody that's discipled you. And so... This lady that's baptizing her is probably someone that had a significant impact on her life with Jesus. And the reason that we do that is to show that God doesn't just build his church through guys like me. God doesn't just build his church through guys like Aaron Ivy. But God builds his church just through everyday people just like you and me. And that's how God wants to do it. And that was his intention from the very beginning to build his church on little pebbles. Little rocks like me and like you. Because you may not be the, the next Apostle Paul. You may not change an entire continent. You may not preach to thousands. But just like Philip, you can be faithful when the Spirit calls you. And you can preach Jesus to one person. And you never know. You never know what God's going to do through that one person. God might just change the world through that one person. And so I just want to have a little, little side note here, a little challenge. I think it would be pretty amazing if we were to challenge ourselves and even pray for this, that every single one of us in this room over the next year would be in the water with somebody that we told Jesus, we talked about Jesus too. I think that would be an amazing thing. We'd have to build a new building, but that'd be okay, right? Why don't you pray for that at some point in time today? Lord, let your spirit guide me to somebody like, it, like the Ethiopian eunuch. And when you do, let my answer be yes. Next thing here, um, there's something else that, that, that God uses in a, in a really powerful way in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We'll talk about this and we'll be done. And that's church planning. That's church planning. Now here's the thing, you hear that, you hear that and hopefully you don't gloss over that and think, well, that doesn't really apply to me because here's, here's the truth and I've thought a lot about it this week is that if you're a Christian here today, if you're a believer, then your walk with Jesus, your faith has been directly impacted by church planning. Directly. Not indirectly, but directly. And let me show you what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Acts eleven nineteen. 19, it says, Now those... Now listen carefully to this verse first. In verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking 
the word to uh, no one except the Jews. In verse 20, it says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, that's the, Greek also, that's the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And this report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Paul, which is Saul at this point, because Saul's gotten saved. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That's a cool story if you're paying attention. So the first request, this is the church, the first uh, recorded church planting movement in history. The church was meeting in Jerusalem. This is after the ascension of Christ. And uh, Paul, which at that time was Saul, was still persecuting Christians. They got hold of Stephen, who was a deacon in the church. He started preaching about Jesus. They said, okay, we're going to stone you. And Paul, or rather Saul was sitting there watching at the time. Stephen's getting stoned. He looks up. It's a great moment in scripture. He sees the, Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, which is awesome because Jesus always sits at the right hand of the Father. But when Stephen was giving his life for the gospel, Jesus stood up, which is really cool. And then after that persecution, all the church scattered. Which, I mean, they just took off, and, and the scripture says they went to all these crazy places, Phoenicia, Cyrus, and Antioch, but when they got to Antioch, they didn't just run because of the persecution and keep their mouth shut, they went to Antioch and they started preaching. These are, by the way, these are not preachers, these are normal people on mission for God, fulfilling the Great Commission. When they went to Antioch, they started telling people about Jesus, and then all of a sudden it started blowing up, and they formed a church, and they sent Paul, and they got even bigger, and, and they, the, the church, that's when we started being called Christians right there in Antioch. But here's the thing I want you to know. This right here, this little story, that is how Christianity spread to all the earth. It's because normal, everyday people, for whatever reason, went to some place, and when they got there, they started telling people about Jesus, and people got saved, and then the church began to form there. And that's what happened from Jerusalem to Antioch. And from Antioch, people left Antioch and went to Turkey and went to Africa. And they told people about Jesus and churches were formed. And then from Turkey and Africa, they left those places and they went to Europe and told people about Jesus. And churches were formed. And then it got all messed up for a while. But then there was the Protestant Reformation. And then it began to spread even more. And then people left Europe and they went to the United States to the colonies or rather to America there in the colonies and, and planted churches and Christianity began to grow there. And after they, they left, or rather the colonies began to be populated, they left there and people left and went to the frontier of America and went and planted churches. And it just began to spread all over the continent. And in 1856, in 1856, something happened that was critical for a lot of us in the room. Now, what happened in 1856 that was critical for a lot of us in the room? I don't want you to raise your hand, but I just want you to ask yourself a question for those of you that have been around the stone for a while. Has the Austin Stone Community Church had an impact on your walk with Jesus? I just want you to think about that. Maybe a significant impact with your walk with Jesus. I would define a significant impact this way. Maybe you got saved here. That's pretty significant. Um, you've been discipled here. Um, 
maybe you weren't church before and now you're actively involved with the church. Uh, maybe you found your wife here. A lot of people get married here at the Stone. Well, I'd say that's significant. Um, or that there's been something that God has broken through in your heart and life and there's been a, s- a significant movement of the Spirit in your heart and life in, in the Austin Stone Community Church. If, if that could be you, if that's you, or maybe you've been a partner here for two or three years, I'd say that's significant. You could, you could raise your hand and go, yeah, I would say that God has moved in my life through this church. 1856 was a big year for you and me. Now, why in the world was 1856 a big year? And I'll tell you why. Because in 1856, a guy named W, first name of W, which is pretty cool, W. Milburn left Ohio and he planted, and let's go ahead and show him this picture. He planted that little church right there. In 1856, Aaron, he left Ohio, moved to East Texas, and planted that little church right there. That little church right there is First Baptist Church, Athens, Texas. And 124 years later, 124 years on that exact same location, a little bit different building, but the exact same location right there, 124 years later in 1982, this little punk kid would be right there on that ground, right there in the Piney Woods of East Texas, and he he would hear the gospel for the very first time. And Jesus would capture his heart. And then 20 years later, that same little kid would move to Austin, Texas because God called him to and he would plant the church that you're sitting in right now that many of us have been spiritually impacted by. So here's the deal. That story, that story right there is the story of all of our lives that are believers. Every single one of us in this room that would say, yes, he's the Christ and he is the son of the living God. Every single one of us in some shape, form, and fashion can trace our spiritual lineage back to a person that raised their hand and said, yes, I'll go to this place, I'll share the gospel, and I'll start the church. Every single solitary one of us in this room. You have been directly impacted by church planning. Every one of us who claim the name of Christ. I thank God for W. Milburn. I thank God that I don't know why he did it, but I thank God he left what was comfortable in Ohio to come to Athens, Texas and preach the gospel and start that church so that I could hear the message of Jesus Christ. I thank God for him for that. I'm gonna tell you something, guys. Church planning is not plan B of the Great Commission. It's not. And so in light of this truth, that God is building the church on all of us who have that confession. And this is the, the spiritual lineage in all of us. I'd just love to throw this out there. Have you ever thought in your whole life about how you could engage in building the church in this way? It's not just church planners and pastors. Well, I think there's a couple ways you can do it. I think for some of you, maybe for a lot of us in the room today, that one of just the most tangible easiest ways that we can engage in this thing that is a critical component of the Great Commission is financially. It's financially. I'm going to take up an offering here in in a second, and and here's what we're going to do with this offering is half the money is going to go to Acts 29 that we take up, and half the money is going to go to our church planters from the Austin Stone that have left the Austin Stone, and they've gone to Oklahoma and California and different places where they are starting new expressions of the church, and so every dime of that's going to them. 
But here's the thing. I want you to just listen to this one story about how financially you can impact the growth and the building of the church. It's huge. Um, when, when I started the Stone, me and Brad Colley and Chris Tomlin, we moved here and started the Austin Stone. We were poor. We didn't have any money. And we had, um, I think we had $5,000 in the bank to do this whole thing, to rent a church, to get sound systems, to feed our children. I was staying in a, my family and I moved from a cush job with a cush salary in the Woodlands, Texas. We were living in a motel here in Austin. And we were just praying like crazy that God would help us and provide for us. And we had dinner one night with this business guy that Brad knew. And we just, we called him and was like, hey man, we're coming over. We're going to ask you for money. All right, see you then. And, 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 uh, <laughs> and so we warned him and we went over for dinner and we had dinner with him and we shared the vision of the Austin Stone. That, man, we want to plant a church in the city of Austin. There's a huge need here. We want college students to hear the word preached. We want singles to hear the word preached. We want families to be able to raise their children in the Lord and to make a difference in the kingdom of God here in Austin. We, we gave our, our pitch and at the end of the night, he pulls out his checkbook and he wrote some stuff on the check and he folded it up and handed it to Brad and Brad put it in his pocket and we walked out the door and we got in the car and we thought, all right, we can pull this check out. And we pulled this check out and there was $100,000 he wrote on that check. And Brad and I started crying like little girls. We just started, both of us just started bawling. Because we knew, we knew that that was the Lord. And that, that check right there, it funded the junior high that we met in for the year. It funded our salaries. It funded the sound system. It funded, it funded everything that we did for over a year, uh, for like two years until we were self-sustaining as a church. And here's the thing, man. When you think about, when you think about all the people that have, over the last decade, the thousands of people that have walked through these doors and heard the gospel. You think about all the people that have heard about Jesus. Jesus through this one expression of the local church. And you think about all the people that have left the Austin Stone through the 100 people network and have gone to all these crazy places throughout the world and are telling other people about Jesus. And you think about all the people who have heard about, are going to hear about Jesus through the people who heard about Jesus through this church. And you think about all the people who are going to hear about Jesus, who heard about Jesus from the people who heard about Jesus from this church. And you start doing the math that by the, by the time the trumpet sounds, it's going to be a big number. And you trace it all the way back and, and you look at this one little guy who was this one man that nobody even knows his name, who was faithful to sacrifice and be generous. And when we're all standing around the throne, I would say that guy made a difference. Amen? So I don't know when this offering basket goes by. I mean, if you've got two bucks in your, in your pocket, throw it in there. Because God will use it. But here's the other thing I want you to realize. That some of you, maybe you don't have two bucks in your pocket. That's fine. But there's something maybe I want you to pray about that you've never prayed about before. And maybe God wants to use you to be a part of a church planning team here in this city or another city. You may not be the guy that stands up and preaches like me, but maybe you have a friend that's starting a church or you hear about somebody that's starting a church. I think that a lot of you ought to go do that. Well, Matt, you're telling people to leave your church. Yes, I am. 
Here's the thing. If you go, you go to some other church because you don't like me, that might hurt my feelings. But if you go to another church because God's called you to go help some young punk like me out, start a church, I think that's awesome and I think you ought to do it. You can always come back. <laughs> Pray about that. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. You'll never know their names, but they're people that took care of our children and set up chairs and set up the stage and, and gave and, and served for months so that we could have this. And I'll end today with this. I think some of you, you've never thought about it in your whole life. But from the foundation of the world, God put a calling on you to plant a church. You may not be the guy that preaches, but God's calling you to start a home church, move to some other city, just like W. Milburn, and start an expression of a church that God's going to use for centuries. Here's how you know. As I just said that, and you won't be able to quit thinking about it for about six months. That's how you know God's calling you. If he calls you, you let us know. We'll help you any way we can. But you make sure your answer is yes. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. If that's your confession, we have work to do. All right? Let's pray. Jesus, I, I thank you with all my heart for the faithful men and the faithful women throughout the centuries that left all that was comfortable, all that was normal, and they went to some place where they were scared and all for you, for the name of Jesus and for the gospel. I thank you for them. I thank you for calling them. I thank you that you gave them the power to say yes. Lord, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for W. Milburn. If it weren't for the guy that led him to Christ. If it weren't for the folks that sailed over the ocean to come to the Americas. If it weren't for the, the men that were persecuted, the men of Cyrene who went to Antioch and spoke the gospel. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for them. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us the strength to stand in line. Be a part of that great lineage that shares the gospel so that we stand around your throne. There will be many who get to worship with us. Pray if you're calling somebody today, they'd say yes. And we ask that in Jesus' name.